This is RV on Business. Welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. Angus McIntosh, farmer Angus, welcome to Chai FM. It's very different for me to be doing it like this. It's my sort of first Zoom interview, but uh, great to have you on the line. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. I must say, I've you've kept me entertained for the last uh, two days. I've watched your TED Talk, which I posted on my Facebook uh, feed. I've gone to uh, all the other people that you've talked about that I really never knew about people like Mark and Michael Pollan. You can listen yeah. to the guy for hours and hours. It's just yeah. a, a genius speaking with scientific yes. fact to back him up. But that's between me and you. But let me, let's, let's maybe give you a bit of an introduction so everybody knows who you are. From what I understand, you come from the corporate world. You were a stockbroker at Goldman Sachs. You are now a farmer on Spear Y in the state in Cape Town, which is one yep. of my favorite places. Every time I'm in Musenberg, always spend an afternoon there. Um, but maybe take us through the process. How did you end up from a Thai, which is a derogatory term apparently, to <laughs> a barefoot individual? <laughs> so, Avi, it's, um, it's not a very dramatic story. You know, it wasn't a, a Damascene conversion. Um, uh, what, it was really a, a long, slow process, but it's been a complete 180-degree turn. So I guess the, the, the major driving factor with me leaving Goldman was that I didn't want to take up the offer of going to Tokyo. Um, okay. My big promotion opportunity was was um, to go and do derivative sales in Tokyo. And we just had our second child, and we, we had an opportunity to break uh, the golden handcuffs. And, and, and come back to South Africa, um, which we did. And then we, then we determined we wanted to build a house on a farm and we got this opportunity. And then we ended up meeting lots of different architects and we happened to meet, uh, an amazing architect called Etienne Brewer, who is a green architect because, you know, Goldman Sachs people only build concrete and steel houses and, and environmentalism is, is, is a word that it might be in the dictionary. Um, so I, I was very much just going to put a thing that concrete and still place down. Etienne said, no, 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 there's another way. And slowly we started opening up to the other way of doing things. And then during that time, I read a book by a guy called Nicolas Jolie, who's a French, um, biodynamic wine grower and wine maker, J-O-L-Y. And I was deeply moved by his, uh, his, his book, and the, and um, the movement of biodynamic agriculture, which is which is, I mean, we can talk for hours, but it's basically an advanced form of organic and just what goes on in the soil into consideration is a is a whole farm picture. Um, uh, so so Rudolf Steiner started the Waldorf schools. I think he gave six thousand lectures in his life on a whole range of different subjects. Um, be that as it may, I then. Then I got to Michael Poland's book as the building project was ending, which you you were referring to earlier to Poland. And I just loved his book, but I particularly was inspired by a man called Joel Salatin. Now, um, Joel Salatin, um, farms in Virginia in, in, um, in, in the U.S. And the, the reason, I don't know if you, you heard why Poland ended up working on Salatin's farm is he, he'd heard about grass fed beef. So he heard about Salatin, he phoned the guy up and said, I live in California, please courier me some steak. And Salatin said, no ways, you, you want the steak, you come to my farm. <laughs> so, so, so Poland writes this 
amazing book, which is basically about the world's food systems. And, and what I found in, in 11 years since I've, I've, I've written, uh, read that book and decided to farm is that most people don't care about food. And, and I'm not sure why, but I do know that once you start investigating food, it's like pulling the end of a string and suddenly all the dominoes fall over because you suddenly realize that in the name of agriculture, which is basically in the name of every single person who eats food, because we're all farmers by proxy, which is another quote of Wendell Berry. That is your catchphrase, farmers by proxy. But it is, Abby. Every time you eat, you choose a farmer. Correct. You give your authority or proxy to that farmer to farm in the way that they deem is appropriate. And unfortunately environmentally, the world is in a very bad place. You know, we're all consumed with coronavirus at the moment, but environmentally, the world is in a very, very bad place, and it's primarily due to agriculture, which again comes back to people's choices around food. Um, so so anyway, so I read Michael Pollan's book, Joel Salatin, I then had an amazing opportunity with the owners of Spear to lease the land from them. Um, and, and yeah, that's been this, we've been paying lots of school fees, unfortunately, over the last 11 years. Um, but we, we're blessed to be doing what we're doing. You know, I'm happy you mentioned the school fees because I was involved in agriculture for many, many years. And I've subsequently spoken to a lot of, not one or two young guys getting in. And the first thing that really made me shudder was the capex these guys were borrowing just to buy brand new equipment mm. and shiny things. Mm. And uh, it just really struck a chord with you because that's not what it's all about. It's all about getting the fundamentals right and using duct tape and chewing gum to keep your tractor going until you can really get mm. the productivity coming through. But let's let's mm. jump straight into it. One thing that you have done is you've, you're looking at changing the way things operate. So that you speak about on your TED talk, and that is at the end of the day, the reason why let's say battery chickens are battery chickens is because it's profitable. Mm. That's the most efficient mm. way to make mm. max, maximum profit from chickens, mm. either for meat or mm-hmm. for eggs. Mm-hmm. You've done differently with moving houses, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. At the end of the day, is your method profitable or is it just a nice fuzzy feeling? Listen, I, I, there are three, there, there are three legs that our business needs to stand on. Okay. The first being the financial. If a business doesn't make money, it's just, it's never going to exist. Okay. So every business has to make money. I actually closed my broiler production business earlier this year because it hasn't made money. And the coronavirus has crushed my pork business, so I'm in process of trying to close that um, because the hotels and restaurants have disappeared. And 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 and, and, and but but be that aside from that, they were all working their businesses uh, financially. Then there's a social element and there's an ecological element. And and you know I'm a management accountant by training. I worked at Goldman Sachs many years. Not once do you ever hear anybody use the words true cost accounting. And, 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 and Abby, if we can just focus on beef, okay? 99.9% of the beef market in this, in this country is what are called grain fed beef. These are uh, beef animals that are kept in what's called a feedlot. So it's a confinement animal farming operation. They, 
um, are fed a, a diet which is in violation of the digestive system, which then causes all sorts of uh, health problems in the meat. So there's a whole lot of hidden costs that are not included in that. And in fact, I'll go through those in the TED talk, whether it's antibiotic resistance, whether it's inflammatory disease or too much omega-6, environmental pollution, you know, downstream of those places, there's massive pollution. Someone has to pay for it. So what, what, what we're trying to say is that we need to price the food differently. We need to price for nutrient density. We need to price for uh, uh, dignity and employment. I mean, my staff don't aren't gassed out by working on the property. It's pleasantly there's good smells on 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 the farm. Um, if you go within, if you, I don't know if you've ever had the displeasure of being in any of these operations, whether it's confined broiler, confined, you have. I mean, you can't tell me the smell is overpowering, okay? And the stress levels are over. I think the term the term that I feel is noxious when I walk in. There we go. So why should why should food be produced in a noxious environment? You know, Hippocrates said, "Let your food be your medicine, and your medicine your food." Now, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, I was speaking to in England the other day. He, he, he used to farm here and has moved to the UK. In their little village, everybody in the villages got a notice last week to say, "Please stay in your houses, keep your pets in your houses." This is from the local farmers. We are busy spraying the crops, and 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 I just. Why do you have to spray your food with poisons that are so dangerous that people are not allowed to go outside? I, I still don't understand that. Okay, Angus, that, that's exactly the point, and I think that's the whole theme that comes through. We need to take a quick ad break. So what's going to happen is we're not going to hear the ads. We're just going to go quiet. Uh, Craig, please play the ad break, and I'll let you know when we come back on air. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. On the line with me is Angus McIntosh or Farmer Angus McIntosh. Angus, just before we go back to you, let me just let everybody know that you know that the love of music can be very, very catchy. And you know that his love of music is unbelievable. And therefore, you can catch Hanan Benari for a personal concert from his home to yours. Catch Hanan Benari this Friday at 1 p.m., for a pre-Shabbat concert. Follow it on Facebook and we will post. Sorry, Craig, you keep messaging me while I'm trying to talk. And we'll post a link on Chai FM Facebook too. 101.9 Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Angus, um, while they were on the end break, I quickly went on to look at Joel Satterton's uh, stuff. And one thing that the word that came up is, uh, interview Joel Salatin, the lunatic farmer. So yeah. the bottom line is that this whole move back to what farming was is seen as a bit of a lunatic fringe. But from an economist to an accountant, let me ask you this, this question. If you were the minister of agriculture and you were asked, um, to redesign the way agriculture worked, but that the same time, the Minister of Finance was sitting on your right-hand side and the Minister of Health was sitting on your left-hand side. And they looked at you and said, Angus, get it right. Don't kill the economy and make our people healthy. Avi, I, I, um, you know, there's an expression from your mouth to God's <laughs> ear. Okay? So, so I, I am so happy you've asked that question. It's a, it's, it's something I've been sitting with for a long time. I do farm, well, post lockdown now it has changed, but pre lockdown I was doing farm tours almost daily. 
We always end up ask, talking about exactly this subject. And I, 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 I'll say what I say all along. The first point is that South Africa is the single unhealthiest country in the world. We rank 191 out of 191. And you can research that by going to the Indigo Global Wellness Index. They do a detailed report on 10 health metrics for every country in the world. So I would have loved to have had the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Health in a room already and say to them, guys, are you talking to each other about this health epidemic that South Africa has, parking aside corona for now? The cost of obesity, the cost of children not being able to concentrate at school, the cost of heart diseases, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, the point is that the first thing with change is you have to admit that there's a problem. Now, you are casting a hypothetical example where everyone has admitted that there's a problem. I'm saying we have to admit that there's a problem. Then, then there's a couple of very simple solutions. The first thing is that we have to accept that it's primarily the food and then there's other, other factors involved that are making people sick. Okay? So we need to go back to producing healthy food. How do we produce food in this country? Off pasture, it's so easy. We remove all the gum plantations and all the sugar cane. Sugar makes sick and fat. That's all, all, all sugar does. So there's no need for gum plantations and no need for sugar plantations. There, I've actually on my website, I, I, I don't want to pull it up now because I'm going to lose your, your vision, but I, I've listed the, the, the hectares that are under sugar cane and under gum plantations. And then all of those are turned into multi-species pastures where, where all the beef or the pork or the lamb or the chicken or the eggs can live which means we'll reduce the need for maize plantations by half at least because we don't need to grow maize for cattle because cattle are herbivores, which means they're designed to eat plants, not grain. They're not granivores. We will create employment. We will sequester carbon. And what I mean by that is that we will be taking carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it into the soil. Our farm, Avi, just as a, as a little aside, was the first farm in the world to be paid carbon credits for increasing the carbon content in the soil where the cattle graze. So cattle can be a very destructive part of farming, but also a healing regenerative part of farming. And and so if, if all the livestock was outside, not confined in these, as you say, noxious environments, we're creating employment, we're producing nutrient-dense food, and we're healing the earth. We're reversing the damage. It's a trifecta. But the bottom line is, if we had to take Ilovo, for example, massive landowners, a bit of wob- a bit of a wobbly story at the moment, massive employers, massive yes. landowners, um, massive yes. in the transport. If we had to convert all that sugarcane into what you're proposing, would we be mm-hmm. able to generate the same amount of turnover, its contribution to GDP, the employment, okay. the sustainable employment, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. So, Abby, I, I do not know the exact hectares that they have under, um, uh, under sugarcane. I can only talk from my own perspective. So let me tell you what I'm doing on my little farm. Okay. I, I, on a, on, on a, on 120 hectares. So these guys would have millions of hectares, but on 120 hectares in land in Stellenbosch. So the soils in the Western Cape are the oldest soils in the country. It's Basically, beach sand we're trying to farm in here. Where Alovo is farming is deep, rich, fertile soils. So immediately, 
things grow more, the, 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 the climate is better, they will be able to be there as much. Let's use me as a base scenario. 120 hectares, we are producing nearly 6,000 eggs a day. We are killing eight pigs a week and six cattle a week. And then we've also got some vineyards. So the wine, let's move that out for now. Okay. That's just on 120 hectares. I haven't calculated, and I'm very happy you asked me these questions. I need to have this stuff at my fingertips. I haven't calculated how many people you can feed from that. But six cattle, eight pigs, uh, um, sorry, eight cattle, six pigs, six, nearly 6,000 eggs. You can feed a lot of people off 120 hectares of semi-fertile land. You're going to do a hell of a lot better in the sugarcane fields. Right. And, and where employment, let's just talk about employment. Okay. With, I don't know anything about sugarcane. I can spell it. So I don't know how, how labor intensive it is, but I'm assuming it's quite mechanized. Yes, it is. So on, on our egg business, we have nine permanent employees. Um, we've got in, 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 in the butchery, we've got 14. We've got uh, one guy on cattle. We've got irrigation guys. We've got backup people. You know, we've got, we've got about 30 people that we employ in our little area. So it's a it's a labor-intensive exercise, regenerative agriculture. So we're running out of time. And first of all, I want to thank you for coming on. I can see yep. you're busy, and especially with corona and, and, and the impact it's had on you. Let me ask you this. If my wife had to go no, no, by – Can I interrupt you quickly? You know what we're busy with? I sold 90% of my egg business to my staff in April. Yes, so on the and it's, been, it's been transformative watching how these guys are working for themselves. It's amazing. But the Department of Agriculture approached us and said, please, can you come with a turnkey solution to expand your model around the country? So I'm actually sitting in the office at the moment drawing up plans with my colleague uh, for exactly that. And and that's really what it is. It's all about the sharing of the success and up the uplifting. You know, this term Gini coefficient that economists throw around is the difference between the haves mm-hmm. and the have-nots. And, you know, one thing yes. that I've said very clearly is that I never really understood what the word privilege in the South African context meant until yeah. Corona arrived because yeah. it's real. At the end of the day, we, we joke in our home like, oh, are you going to the dam? Are you going to the north boundary fence? All that means is you're walking around the pool or you're going to the, to the, to the wall at the end. Mm. But I'm not living in a one bedroom shack where I don't have income. I'm scared to go outside because the police are all over the case. My mm. children are hungry. Everybody's mm. cold and wet. Mm. So that really puts it in stark contrast. So yes, what you're doing is reversing or definitely halting and, and definitely making that process less stark than it is now. But mm. maybe just before I let you go, two more yes. questions. The one thing I want to ask you is that bottom line is if you were given free reign to continue growing your business with sufficient capital, et cetera, et cetera, if my wife had to go in, um, well, my wife, let's say we keep kosher, but mm. let's say someone who doesn't keep yeah. kosher had to go in and buy a steak or a kilo of yes. meat from pick and yes. pay and a kilo of meat from you. Yes. Is the price the same? Currently, it's exactly the same. So my beef, so my, beef my beef in the super, all my supermarket, all my retail clients, I don't, I'm not in the national retailers. My national, my retail clients are, are meat to exactly the same price as the, as the, as the feedlot stuff. But this is, you're coming back now to the earlier point. There's no hidden costs in my meat. There's yes. a hell of a lot of hidden costs in the other. The truth is that I actually disagree with you. There are hidden costs, but they're positive costs. 
in the <laughs> center when spear farm for my grandchildren. I know that mm. that poor guy who lived in the shack has now got the ability to lay down paving, put concrete down, mm. send his mm. kids to school for his wife to get proper mm. medical treatment, etc. who is by the right product. So mm. by me supporting it, it's not just keeping things as they are. It's this ongoing positive knock-on effect that happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Angus, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's a pleasure. I've thank put you for your website. Me.